welcome to the Zero Hour podcast sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today, we are joined by Daniel here at InfoSec Europe. Daniel is the CEO of CyberL, a system that provides early warnings from cyber attacks. Dan previously spent 10 years at KPMG and is also the chair of the working group at the IOT Security Foundation, a nonprofit working towards establishing principles and improving capability globally for the security network. Hope you enjoy Beach and Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was actually born in Malaysia. And who are or were your parents? My goodness, uh, my dad was an agricultural consultant. So he knew all kinds of things that uh, helped countries plant and grow lots of agricultural stuff. And my mum was a child psychologist, so she spent most of my childhood essentially playing tricks and having experiments on us when we were young. Um, but I, it seems to have turned out okay. So. Influence on you? Yes, I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. She was, um, I remember she was doing her um, degree at the time and uh, she had lots of practicals that she was uh, uh, working on. And one of those was to essentially um, try to get somebody to think, or very young children to think in very, very different ways to what they're very normally used to thinking. And so she had a series of experiments. And the one that really sticks out in my head is a little bit like that reward experiment. You know, you get them to think a different way and then you reward them and train them. So I've never felt more like a lap dog than, than back then. But, um, but there you go. I'm sure she had lots of, uh, lots of influence on me. Excellent. And just on education, what was your education like? Ah, so I started out, um, well, I, I, I'm probably in some ways still looking, you know, for my, for my main calling in life. Uh, but I, um, my degree was in engineering and architecture. So this is... Uh, buildings architecture rather than technology architecture. Uh, I tried that career for a little bit and it, it didn't sort of go to plan. Uh, it was fun while it lasted uh, and then very much since then have kind of been in the commercial world looking at um, sort of building business up from either from scratch or, or extending them if they're, if they're very large already until I came to the startup. And in terms of building architecture, is I think the mindset of um, solving a problem uh, by breaking it down into lots of little chunks that interlock and then you know, solving each piece and being very aware of how they're interdependent, um, I think that way of thinking is very powerful in whatever job you do or whatever role you take on. And I think it's, it's probably that specific skill that I've just carried with me through my whole life. And, and I think it's very much a process. You learn, you get taught, and you learn how to think in that way. Um, but once you do, it becomes very much part of, of the way you, you operate, which I, which I think is very powerful. So you spent 10 years at KPMG. 
what did you do there and what experiences did you learn from there that led you to CyberOut? So I started from the ground up in terms of um, going on my commercial journey. I had just, just finished uh, a long placement at a, an architecture firm, uh, decided that it wasn't going to be for me. I had to recreate myself, right? KPMG gave me the opportunity to start in the financial world, really to you know, start to understand how numbers work, how commerce work, how business sense work. So the first few years I spent building up that, um, uh, that arsenal, if you like, that toolkit of knowledge. Uh, and then the second half of my career there, actually probably the longer part of my career there, I spent in the defense security and intelligence strategy um, business. So I wasn't really, I didn't really start out specializing in defense security, it was just a, a general uh, business strategy role. And then I started taking more and more interest in security and started um, specializing more and more in it and finding more uh, about it, uh, learning more about it, getting deeper into the uh, into those sorts of capabilities as a sector, and building up my own personal network in it. And by the time I left, I was associate director there. Um, I was one of one of the kind of lead teams in the um, uh, defense, security, and intelligence strategy group. Uh, and we were helping very large American companies build out their portfolios in Europe as, as one of my main um, the, one of the main things that I was doing. Uh, and I, I love the subject. I think it's, it's interesting and I think it's um, a fascinating space and each little section within it is in of itself a whole area to explore and that's why I like it. When was the first time you come across cybersecurity? It's probably about... Cybersecurity as a concept. Goodness, now you're testing me. Um, that's probably about eight or nine years ago. Um... No, no, no. It would have been antivirus. That, that I think that's like that's the Michael Jackson record of my of my cybersecurity world, right? So my, my first record I ever bought was a I think was a, a Michael Jackson record, and so I think AV would have been my first foray into security, um, and probably the first time I really paid attention to it was when the licensed Symantec AV or whatever was on my on my machine. Um, ran its course in the 12-month contract and it was asking me to renew it. That's probably the first time, maybe about, I don't know, 25 years ago. That would be the first time, probably. I mean, my first CD is slightly different. So mine was a bit more like Maroon 5. What does cybersecurity mean to you? I've actually started moving towards thinking about cyber in terms of resilience rather than security. Um, I think having spent a bit of time in this space, Security suggests to me a foolproof um, capability, and I just, I just don't think, I just don't think we can do that anymore. I just don't think resources are, you know, infinite enough to do that anymore. So I think it's about survival, and it's about putting things in place so that if you do get compromised, and you will, it's about bouncing back as quickly as you can. And then if you're even more advanced than that, you find some way to, to try to reduce the risk of you know, getting hit in the first place. But that's that's only if you've got the, the resources to do that. Um, so I've been thinking about resilience really more as a concept. Um, you know, how do you, how quickly, how, how long can you hold, you know, your organization from getting attacked? Then how do you, you know, find the attack and then bounce straight back up again once you've had the attack? And that's a better concept to think about. And in terms of resiliency, where does cyber risk fit into this? All, all the way through, all the way through. Look, cyber 
you know, risk is just another business risk, right? And like any other business risk, you plan for it, you understand where it really sits, um, and then you take ways to mitigate it, and then you live with the residual risk. And cyber is the same thing. I, I, I think it's, 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 it's very similar. So it sits right across the spectrum from, you know, creating your protection mechanisms through to detecting it, through to responding, and then through to recovery. Um, and, 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 and it moves over time. It moves as you become more prominent as an attack target. It moves as it, that period of time changes when you start to become more prominent. And it moves as you have more resources to deal with it. So your appetite for risk and your way of dealing with it changes over time. So it's a, it's a, it's a moving object. And you said something there that's becoming more prominent, which is it's a business risk as well as just a technology risk now. So whose responsibility do you see it sitting within or at someone's feet? Look, the ideal answer is it's everybody's responsibility, right? Down to the janitor who leaves the door open uh, and lets someone through the door to download stuff off the mainframe. Um, look, it's everyone's risk and it's everyone's responsibility, but we've also got to be realistic about this. There's going to be a bunch of people. There's going to be two things. One is there's going to be a transition period whilst we get everyone more aware of it. And in the meantime, and, and, and probably forevermore, there's always going to be a bunch of people who are guardians of it. Um, these are the people who, who take most initiative to uh, you know, make sure the awareness is spread around, make sure the resilience is built up, and they guard the organization from doing that. You know, these are the people we spend most, most of our time with. These are our, our potential customers. Um, so they will be the guardians, but it's, it's everyone's responsibility. And would you say that total prevention is possible? No. I think that's, that's, I think, unfortunately, it's quite competitive. You want to be harder to breach than the next best person if you've got something to breach. And um, it's a little bit like the art of war. If you're harder to invade, somebody will invade somewhere else. Um, attackers are, are lazy and economical and they will find ways to find easier targets. Just make sure you're not that one. Of course. So would you say prevention or protection costs are lower than recovery? Um, not that we've seen, actually. Not that we've seen at all. Um, especially if you start to bring in recovery as brand and reputation recovery as well, mm. then actually the cost of dealing with that is by far worse than what you put in at the start to do some prevention. Um, so, no is, is, the, is the short answer to it. But uh, it's, it's about a balance. It's balancing you know, the, the, the four or five different aspects to, to cyber resilience. Um, and tying that in with your risk appetite. So if, if you are a nuclear power station, then actually you can't wait for the fallout. That's, that's way too, or the, 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 the outcome and the impact of that is way too uh, large for you to wait for that to happen. So you pour a lot of resources into your protection and your prevention. And that's the right thing to do because your risk appetite and your risk profile is very different to you know, a mum and pop fish and chip shop down the road. Um, so I don't think it's one answer for everyone, um, but it has to be right for your business, for your organization. So where should organizations invest in cyber risk and resiliency? All, all, all the way through. I mean, I, I would say that 
uh, information and situational awareness is probably the one area that um, you want to invest in, right? So, you know, if you're going to be susceptible to an attack and if you're going to let an attack play out because for whatever reason, you know, the risk is just not um, that important to you, the very least you want to do is know that that's happening. And then you can take the right course of action. You can make the right decisions. You can make them, you know, you, you can make them in a more informed and actionable way. You can make them earlier. So at least invest in that. At least know what's happening and then decide accordingly. How do you measure within risk whether to be or whether to have a more sensible approach compared to a risky approach? Hmm. A lot of it is just down to impact. So if you know up front that there are certain things in your estate, certain assets, let's call them in your estate, that are much more core to your business, you know, lose them, have them breached, have them compromised, and that makes or break your business, um, they're going to be more important. If such thing doesn't exist, then actually your risk profile is probably pretty low. Um, but by and large, every organization will have a subset of their assets and of their people that are more important than others. That's just the way the world works. Um, understand that. Try to do a little bit of thinking around understanding if that goes down, what does that actually mean per hour, per day to my business? And that will then give you an, an estimation, an indication of what your cyber risk profile should be and what your appetite in terms of responding to that should, uh, should, uh, should be. Now, in the world of Internet of Things, global networks, there's plenty of opportunity for these hackers to um, make money, take data, whatever their objectives are. We live in a world of innovation. So as we're driving for further innovation, I mean, we're here at InfoSec right now. There's plenty of new technologies out there. The more we drive, are we driving up the risk? Yes, we are. But I don't think it's useful to take that negative mindset. Um, I think you'll find the vast majority of security people, you know, try to take a tone which says, don't, you know, don't release that new innovation into the wild because it presents security risk. Um, I try to take a slightly different view. So security by design is important. Try to design it as secure as you can. But the reality is the excitement of adoption of new technologies enablement technologies rather than security or safety technologies will always move faster um, than security technologies. So, and I don't think it's helpful to keep trying to restrict that from being released. So I think going back to first principles and, and trying to promote security by design is useful, but then I think us in the community should then just keep working hard at trying to then cover each part of that security value chain and try to do the best we can in terms of securing people and data and assets within that framework. You talked about by design. So how can companies or organizations help themselves um, when, they're, when they're going through some sort of innovation or transfer? transfer? Um, I think the idea of, 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 of security by, by design is quite important. So um, as you're trying to release something, um, there are more and more frameworks now in place. So I get involved in the Internet of Things Security Foundation, but there's a Cloud Security Alliance, there's, uh, there's a Purple Foundation, there's the Sans Institute. There's a, there's a whole bunch of sources of guidance, uh, checkpoints, as it were, to kind of have a think about 
at the very least, the, 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 the pure basics of what to think about as you're about to release a service or a product or a capability out into the market. Um, thinking about that before you release it is useful and helpful. Um, and I think that will reduce the overall risk uh, from a security standpoint of your organization if you plan that it from the start. Um, I'd start there. Think about that and start there. The reality is you won't cover all of them. Um, you will make decisions, commercial decisions, and, and possibly realistic decisions not to cover every angle, but at least considering it, understanding that risk, and then and taking a decision not to do it, um, at least as a starting point. Coming back to the cyber risk part, can you, or is there a way that you found that you can quantify that risk, or quantify the cyber threat that maybe maybe on the horizon to help um, funding or help decisions and then relay that back to C-suite or the board level. Yeah, absolutely. So the dirty secret about cyber risk quantification is that we should stop trying to go for an absolute number. Um, cyber risk of 99 does not make any sense. However, moving from 99 to 110 within the space of three minutes, that starts to become impossible. And actually, it's that dynamic shift and the quantum of that shift relative to its baseline that's really important. And that's the thing we're focusing on at CyberRAL. So um, I get challenged all the time going, what do you mean cyber risk quantification? You can't tell me that actually my risk is now 74. What does that even mean? It's like, well, what we're trying to do is put a line in the sand that says it might be 74 today, but you're now moving at this rate and for these assets. Which leads me to my second point. You know, understanding how the risk changes as regards the assets that you have is the key point here. Not every asset is made equal. Uh, not even every employee is made equal, actually, quite sadly. Um, and there are some that have uh, a more important part in your organization to play than, than others. And actually, it's those high-value assets you want to pay particular attention to. And if an attack is escalating towards those, um, that's where you really want to pay attention. And that's what we've been focusing on. The movement of the risk and the speed in which it's, it's accelerating and actually the high value assets. Start to think of those and you actually and, and tracking those and you actually start to get a pretty good sense of how your risk changes. And that's 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 the thing that I think you, you start with. So you're saying that you can see momentum in terms of when a risk is coming up. Yep. Yep. Let's take let's take an example like not Petia or WannaCry. Okay? Slightly different, but with a very similar impact in terms of uh, the malware that that um, that was uh, it was used to or that was delivered through that uh, set of attacks. Now, when let's take WannaCry, when it first started infiltrating a number of different machines within an organization, um, it takes minutes to then shut down that machine or at least encrypt it. Right now, trying to do anything to that machine at the time. Um, might be useful, but by and large is actually quite futile because it's moving quite quickly. The best thing you're going to be able to do is to actually contain it, right? So um, what you want to understand is actually how quickly that piece of malware is contaminating and transferring and moving laterally across your organization. The speed in which it's moving laterally tells you the speed in which you need to take action. And that is the actionable key bit of insight out of any form of risk quantification uh, capability. You want to know in real time how quickly it's moving, where it's moving towards, then you know when to get ahead of it and cut it off in its tracks. 
what's lost is lost, but there's a hell of a lot more you can save if you can stop it in its tracks. So expand on where Cyber Owl fit into this part of the market. Mm-hmm. So we're a cyber risk quantification platform. We take uh, essentially any data, uh, structured data feed that we can get hold of, uh, but often starting with network traffic and with application and telemetry logs. Uh, and we use security analytics to ultimately quantify and assign a level of risk associated with each single asset across your estate. And like I said, it's not the absolute number we care about, it's the movement of that that we care about. What that does is it gives the analyst a very, very quick, actionable view, and very early on in the stage of the attack, about which assets are starting to get contaminated and the rate in which that contamination is moving. It also does a second thing. If you, if you take points in time, you can actually get a pretty good understanding for your board um, and, and a very simple way to demonstrate to them across all of your technology assets, across all of your cyber assets, you know, where is it? Are we underinvested in terms of building cyber resilience? And that actually facilitates a very good conversation with the board in terms of being able to justify return on investment on cybersecurity, products, technology, capability, awareness training, whatever you want to put in place, and where, which bits are working, which ones aren't, and where to invest in the future. Um, and so that's, that's where we see cyber all, all fitting. You know, at the analyst and the operations level, giving them very quick understanding very early on in, this, in the attack cycle in terms of where to take countermeasures, but also at the senior level in terms of understanding where to make clever decisions around cyber resilience across the estate. I can't wait for your answer to this question. How early can you sense an attack? Within milliseconds, within milliseconds of it happening. uh, uh, You know, there are systems out there that can already detect things very early on. But the reality is an average SOC is dealing with, what, 200,000 events um, a day? You know, if you've got five people in there, they're just not going to be able to deal with 200,000 events. So early is useful. Early and critical is the powerful combination here. You know, you, a, bunch of, a bunch of very early signals gives you a sense of what's going on, but start to aggregate them, and, 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 and when they start to tip over to become early plus critical, those are the alerts. That, that is the warning that we particularly want to escalate up to the security operations team. And how far will you escalate the messages? As far as, as, far as the organization wants us to. It's down to their risk appetite. There are some organizations we work with where they have a culture of having that responsibility, that accountability, that involvement, you know, very senior, so board minus one, board minus two. And there are others where they relegate that function into an operational team. Um, you know, have it my way, if I was God for a day, I'd, I'd, make, I'd, I'd make the accountability shift right towards the seniorship team. Um, but I also understand, I also understand not every organization uh, can do that and not every organization has the individuals right up the top that are able to deal with that kind of warning. Um, so we tune it based on based on what the organization is set up to do culturally. But uh, you'll certainly have us trying to, to, to get leadership more accountable and more responsible for cyber risk um, whilst you have us on board. So um, one, of the, one of the risks to flag is once you have us on board, we, we will be educating you as hard as we can. That's, that's, that's the role we think we play in the wider world. And just coming slightly away from that, is there any clients, and I don't want you to name them, that you haven't taken on because the risk is too high? Uh, not yet. 
So we haven't seen that yet. Um, I'm sure a time will come when that will happen, but I don't think um, it'll come from the technology being too complicated or them being too much of a uh, strategic target for attackers. I think the real risk is going to be where um, we can't see an alignment between um, the people who are investing in technology like ours and the people who are the end beneficiaries of that, suddenly at a leadership perspective. Um, and I think that's probably the first client we probably reject are the ones where you've got internal champions that are just not quite getting through to the right operational leadership team uh, to take responsibility on cyber risk. The last thing I want to do is put a bit of, you know, put a bit of our product and service in there where we're creating that misalignment. Um, and I'm just, I just don't think getting another bit of kit to try to patch together that alignment is useful. So um, in that scenario, we'd probably start with getting the right stakeholders in the room before we sell them any bit of, of capability that we ever build. Um, but if we sense that it's, it's, it's a long way from getting there, then, then, and we can't help, then, then I think we would back away. So I suppose the million dollar question is, how do you see this evolving and whether it's cyber out or the practice that you're, that you're providing evolving in the next sort of three to five years? Um, so our, our, our mission at CyberOwl is clear. Yeah? So we are a business that um, is setting out to essentially take the pain out of helping people take a, an active cyber resilience posture. Um, this is very difficult to do at the moment. You know, it requires a lot of capability and requires a lot of uh, resources. And we're essentially trying to use analytics to take as much automation into this space as possible and help people shift towards an active posture. Uh, Modala, our first product as a cyber risk prioritization platform, is the first step in that. I see over time as building essentially a suite of capabilities that start shifting organizations towards that space um, and us to continue down that path for, for a good period of time. So but let's, see, let's see where it takes us. Excellent. Just coming back to yourself, why did you make the step out to, to have your own startup in this space? Goodness, it's, it, the, space is, the space is fundamental and is exciting and it's a fast-changing environment. So from a personal learning, personal involvement perspective, there, is, there are very few spaces that are as exciting as this right now. You know, any new bit of technology that anyone tries to create, any new bit of capability that anyone tries to create, really will have a security and resilience angle to it. Um, and so we have to adapt with that time. So it's so really, really, really exciting. Um, I've always found myself to be a bit of a builder. Everywhere I go, I like to either take something and build it and make it bigger or, or actually just build it up from scratch. Um, there is no more challenging environment like a startup uh, and, and, not one, you know, and not one more challenging than a cyber startup with so many of us out there. Uh, that means that building something from scratch like this um, it really is a challenge that is both daunting but really exciting. So I love it. And as we're here at InfoSec, we might as well ask, what are you looking to get out of these three days? So I think to get the message out there in terms of cyber resilience being important, uh, to get the second message out there, which is you know that active defense is, is, is not, doesn't necessarily have to be the most difficult thing to do. And actually there are people like us who are helping to try to take the pain away. 
Um, and then finally, you know, we, we, we'd love to find opportunities for people to try us out as well as uh, potentially partner with us. Um, so, and, and if we achieve even some of those three goals, then I think, I think we've had a good conference. Now, I finished the podcast with the same 10 questions, and I really didn't tell you this, as I can see on your face right now. Not that the listeners can see this. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. What turns you on professionally? Challenges. What turns you off professionally? Difficult people. I'm slightly concerned you looked at me when you said that. <laughs> is that a third question? Or because they're running down. <laughs> How do you unwind? Oh, goodness. Uh, I travel. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Wow. I've not really thought about that. I'm so invested in this at the moment that it's, it's, it's difficult to see beyond this. Uh, probably something for a real change, something quite artistic. Not sure I'd be any good at it, but uh, I'd give that a shot. What activity gives you the most energy? Uh, engaging with people. Who is your biggest inspiration? Wowzers. That's a big question. Um, I may have to come back to that one. I'm going to have to think about it whilst you ask me the other, the other six questions. <laughs> if you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Uh, something like... Um, Build. I didn't say these were, these were easy. Uh, <laughs> you're at your best when you're doing what? Um, when I am orchestrating change. That's a great answer. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you like to impart? Hmm. Um, I'd say find something challenging and then enjoy the journey to trying to solve it. Stop aiming to solve it, just enjoy the journey of trying to solve it because that's very enriching. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Something like, you did all right. <laughs> Perfect, nice and simple. So going back to question six, who is your biggest inspiration? Have you had a thought about it? Oh my goodness, it'll be, it'll be someone, um, Unknown and, 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 and someone not very famous at all, probably. Um, I, I, I enjoy, I, I couldn't name somebody right now, but I, I really enjoy watching and, and learning from the people who quietly make things work and move without taking any glory for it. And, and there's something really quite magical about that. But um, I couldn't name you one of those people before, probably because they deliberately take that position. So, sorry, I might fail you on that one question. <laughs> that's fine. We've had all sorts of answers for that, so that's no problem at all. So, tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can find CyberOwl, if they're looking to, you know, test your product out. So, the, the fastest place is probably to get to our website. That's www.cyberowl.io. Um, if you're at InfoSec, we're at stand Q120. Come and see us. Uh, otherwise, drop us an email, info at cyberowl.io, and we'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Just one final question. Why the name CyberOwl? Ah, my co-founder, who's a professor, um, is really into, into birdwatching. Uh, owls are stealthy, silent, uh, and yet know when to strike. And that is from that inspiration that we drew, um, or those characteristics that we drew the inspiration from. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.